Mac Power Users, Episode 298, MPU Live for January 2nd, 2016. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd alongside David Sparks. Happy New Year, David. Happy New Year, Katie Floyd. How are you today? I'm doing great. And welcome to everybody who's listening to us live in the chat room. It's our annual, you know, first Saturday of the month. We've got to got to do this live show. And, and we have got a lot of great feedback from our listeners. I'm always so excited about these shows. Yeah, it's a great way to start the weekend. You know, it gets me going. It is. Um, and you know what? It's it's episode 298, which means we've only got two more before the big 300. Yeah. 300. It's so weird turning our show over to somebody. I uh, We've never done this before. And uh, Mike and Steven are going to put it in loving hands. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I think we're kind of keeping ourselves in the dark a little bit. We are. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So for the listeners who haven't heard um, what we're doing for episode 300, we always kind of try to do something special for these big milestone shows. So for episode 300, um, David and I are completely in the dark. We don't know what's going to happen. But for episode 300, we are completely turning the show over to Mike and Steven over at Relay. Um, They are working on something special. We don't know what it is. It may totally suck. You never know. Uh, Who knows? But I I don't think so. I think it's going to be something great. Um, But they want your help. And so the only instructions they have given us is to is to tell you this is is that they want help with questions about the show or about um, David and my personal workflows. So if you will tweet those questions to them using hashtag MPU three hundred and David and I promise we will not cheat, we will not look. Make sure you don't at Mac Power User or at David Sparks or at Katie Floyd because or at Mac Sparky or I or, or we'll see them. But just tweet them with the hashtag MPU three hundred. Um, that will get them set up. That show is actually going to record live on January 12th at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific, if you want to tune in. So it should be exciting. Yeah, it should. You're always the optimist, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. I think it's going to be great. I can't wait to see what these guys do. So, yeah, please uh, send some notes in. We want to hear from you. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And, and Mike and Steven are going to do amazing. So we will uh, we'll be looking forward to that and looking forward to your feedback. But uh, this is a live uh, sh- a feedback show. We've got a live audience here and we have a live guest. We do. That's right. We um, we have a live guest, someone who I was very fortunate to join them on one of their shows. Um, so please join me in welcoming to the podcast from the Productive One podcast, uh, Laura McClellan. Welcome, Laura. Well, thank you, Katie. I'm I'm really excited to be here. So happy new year to both of you. Yeah. Now, uh, we have been wanting to have you on Mac Power Users for a while. You were very kind to invite me on your show, The Productive Woman. I think it was episode 61. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. But I've been a, a fan of yours for a while, and I know you've been following our show. But um, I really enjoy your podcast, and I know it has a focus towards women, but I think men will enjoy it as well. I certainly don't want to you know, flag any men off of listening to your show. But uh, you have a really great way of kind of focusing in on, on one thing per episode. And, and helping people narrow in on their productivity. And you did an episode recently about things that you can do to help really kick your new year off. And I thought, well, you know, here we are recording this live show on January 2nd. Maybe we better get you in to help us with some of that. Well, yeah. And I was really honored when you sent that request. I'm happy to, to talk about that. It was a, kind of my way of capping off 2015 and, and sharing the process that I go through at the end of every year, beginning of each new year. So 
so tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do for those of our listeners who, who maybe aren't familiar with you. Sure. I'm a, I, this will come as no surprise to you. I'm a lawyer by day. So oh, no, have, another, another one of those. Yeah. So you have three geeky lawyers talking here. I, I'm a, I do commercial real estate law here in Dallas. And so that's how I spend my days and some of my nights and weekends when, especially in December, it was, it is no fun to be a real estate lawyer in December. I can just tell you. Uh, but that's what I do during the day. I'm married. I've been married to my husband, Mike, for over 36 years. We have five grown kids and six grandkids. And and so in between all of that stuff, I, I host The Productive Woman, which has been going for about a year and a half now. So Awesome. You know, the, the funny thing is, uh, Laura, when, when you were coming on the show, I went and started, you know, um, what do you, what's that word when you like power through an episode? They have a word like when you Netflix are, are you something. like binge binge I'm bin, listening? I'm binge listening to Laura's show, and you know what? Uh, as a representative of the other sex, um, I uh, I say that this is a great show. Everybody should listen to. It. I don't know why you're calling it productive woman. Just call it productive. So well, good. It, well, thank you. I, it's funny. I came up with the name when I was taking Cliff Ravenscraft's uh, podcasting A to Z course. The very first homework assignment was to uh, tell what your show was going to be about and and give a name for it. And, and I couldn't think of anything. So I threw that out there as a placeholder and it kind of stuck. So We, we kind of have the same problem. We, we named the show Mac Power Users. And when we started this, um, it was, I don't remember. It was well, I guess 2009. The, but yeah, so the iPhone existed, but, but, you know, iOS really developed as our show did. And we talk about iOS and the iPad and the iPhone as much, but it's still got the word Mac in it. But I think we're just going to roll with it at this point. Yeah. Once once you get on a path, it gets a little difficult to, to do a turnaround. So it yeah, works. That's true. Well, one of the things we, we wanted to talk a little bit about is, you know, looking back on the year that was in, in 2015 and, um, you know, certainly not do a year in review recap from a technology perspective. We did that in our last show, but, you know, kind of looking back on, on our year in review and then looking forward to 2016 and, you know, what are some things that, that we can do now for getting off on, on the right foot? And I thought you had some, some great tips and, and observations. You know, everybody has these New Year resolutions. I almost hate to call them that, but you know, what are things that we can do for getting off on the right foot with with 2016 and, you know, making sure that we don't we aren't sitting here in 2017 wondering, gosh, what what, what did I do with that year? Yeah. And that that's really what that episode 70 was about on The Productive Woman. It's the process that I go through every year. And for me, it starts with taking a look back. And I, you know, literally sit down with a for me, it's a cup of hot tea usually at that time of year. And um and a notebook and my journal and my calendar. And I just look back and think, all right, what did I accomplish this year? Uh, what did I plan to accomplish? I look at the goals that I had set for myself and see where, uh, where I achieved them, where I had decided to set them aside and just get kind of the big picture of where, where I am at the end of the year, whatever that year is. And, and I encourage people to do that because it does a couple of things. It, it helps you get some perspective on uh, taking a look at the big picture of, of what you've accomplished, what you intended to accomplish. And I really encourage people to give yourself some credit for what you did accomplish. I think a lot of us, especially professional people, um, can have a tendency to beat ourselves up for what we didn't do and not give enough credit for what we did do. So for me, that's the first step. Where am I today in, 
in uh, relation to where I wanted to be. And from there, you start looking forward to to the coming year and where you want to end up at the end of that year, you know, in this case, 2016. It is it easy to I mean, do people have the I just know we're sitting here recording this on January 2nd and everybody seems to have these grandiose goals. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to run a marathon. I'm going to go to the gym every day and I'm going to lose 30 pounds and I'm going to do all of these these things. And, you know, people never stick with these resolutions. I mean, by by the time January 15th rolls around, we've most of us have have fallen off of the bandwagon. Are we kind of looking at it from from the wrong perspective is maybe maybe we shouldn't be setting these things of I'm I'm not I'm not going to eat chocolate. I'm not going to do this. I mean, what how should we be framing these things so that maybe we can not set ourselves up for so much failure? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I I think the tendency and and I have it myself, but it's something I've kind of set aside to, is to think, all right, it's a new year starting on January 1st. I'm completely overhauling my life and I'm going to drop all these horrible things I've been doing for myself and and start doing the right things, whatever I think in my head the right things are. I think it's better to take small steps to be um, and take it from a positive approach. Once you've figured out what your long-term objectives are, what kind of life you want to live, whether it's professional or personal or, you know, a combination of the two, where, you know, who do you want to be? What do you want your life to look like? And then start taking small steps. I, I'm a huge fan of, I don't know if you've ever read the book. It's uh, by Stephen, I think it's pronounced Gies. It's called Mini Habits. And the subtitle is Smaller Habits, Bigger Results. Uh, and he really encourages and advocates for taking small steps in the direction uh, that you want to go, first of all. So that that's a big thing for me. And the other one is to be more positive about it. And instead of saying, I'm not eating chocolate anymore, maybe frame it in a positive way of I'm going to add, you know, two vegetables a day to my diet or something like that. And put put good things into your life instead of focusing on the, the you know, and I'm using air quotes, bad things that you're going to take out. Yeah. I really like the idea of looking back and, you know, giving yourself a pat on the back. Um, uh, I think a lot of people, a lot of people don't do that and they probably should. I, I, mean, I, yeah, I think so too. I think we don't give ourselves credit for the effort. Maybe we didn't get all the way to where we want to go, but if, if we took some steps in that direction, then we're farther, you know, there's a, a meme going around Facebook about, you know, no matter how slow you go, you're still lapping everybody who's on the couch. And well, I mean, forget effort. I think a lot of times we don't give ourselves credit for our success. Oh, I mean. <laughs> absolutely. We, we, it's like we, we've achieved whatever that thing is and we just move on and never look at it again and never recognize, Hey, that was, you know, that was a goal that I set for myself or an accomplishment that I sought and I made it. Yay me, you know? Yeah. What are some of the things that you look at when when setting goals for 2016? I mean, do you do you look at setting specific goals like, um, you know, I'm I'm going to run a marathon or do you look at setting more kind of big picture goals like I'm going to be healthier? I know you had talked a little bit about like, you know, picking words for the year. Yeah, I years ago, several years ago, I started out doing the choosing a word for the year. And a couple of years ago, I switched over to the approach that 
I think Chris Brogan is the one who kind of initially introduced this to a lot of people of choosing three words that set kind of the theme and a focus for the year. And that that's, for me, an, a process that takes a couple of weeks as I brainstorm words. And as things come to me, I, um, you know, I write them down. I have a note in Evernote that I start in December. And, and I really just settled on my words for this year. But earlier today, I, I had two of them and not the third. And there's something to be said for choosing three words, kind of a, a tripod, so to speak. And different people do it differently. You can you can look at Chris Brogan's web, website, Mike Vardy. I know he's been a guest on your show. He he does this same process and and really good explanations for how that works. But what it does is give a a focus for the things that you're trying to accomplish. And so like for me last year for 2015, my words were build, connect, and simplify. And I just kept those in mind as I was making choices about how to spend my time and my money and my energy throughout the year. And I do set goals for myself, but it it starts with that as kind of a, an overarching set of themes for the year. And then looking at the long-term things I want to accomplish and choosing just two or three of them at a time to sort of focus on each month, each week, whatever, that uh, for the short-term goals that I'm looking to accomplish. So yeah. uh, are you going to tell us what they are this year or is that a secret? What my words are? Yeah. Uh, they are. Uh, and it's funny. I always, as I said in the show, and I always tell people, the words don't need to mean anything to anybody except you. And yeah. so my words this year are nurture, reach, and endure. And for me, each of the words you choose needs to have some application in all the different roles you play and all the different areas you play. And so for me, I just kept coming back to nurture, nurture the um, projects that I'm working on, nurture my own health, nurture my relationships, you know, that sort of thing. Um, similarly, or similarly, endure was kind of the last word that I came up with that I was trying to encapsulate the concept of both sticking with things that matter to me, but also focusing on things that endure, projects that endure and not getting lost in, you know, watching too much TV or the other things that that maybe aren't going to last, but focusing my time, my energy, my attention, my money and everything on things that will on building things that will last, whether it's relationships or a business or whatever else. That's not, and, and you know, the nice thing about that is it gives you a context when mm -hmm. you have questions in your mind, you're like, well, what are my words this year? And yeah. how, what, what type of context does that give me for this decision? I, I really like that idea. Yeah. yeah, that that's exactly the point of those words is when when I, I've heard Mike Vardy say that if when he's making a decision about taking on a commitment or, or a new project for him, it's got to hit at least two of his three words or else he's going to say no to it. So, you know, that's one way of using those words. Well, thank goodness appearing on our show was one of at least two of his words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's pretty awesome. Yeah. So once you have your your words or what, what do you do throughout the year to kind of figure out, you know, am I am I continuing to move through these goals? I know you had talked a lot about calendaring is, um, you know, and, and getting an idea of your your whole year. I know I know you like to look at things in a, a big picture perspective. 
Well, because I think that's important. I think all of us in 2016 now, I almost said 2015. Yeah, it'll it'll take a while for us to get used to that. Yeah. One of my goals is just to get the year right when I when I type the date. But um, here's a tip in text expander, create a text expander snippet that says 2015 and autocorrect it to 2016. Oh, there There you you go. go. That's a a good idea. Good one, Katie. But but I think we all are so can can be so busy that we're our heads are down in the weeds of just trying to get from one day to the next. And we lose that perspective of the life we want to make for ourselves and the people, you know, the person we want to be. And so I I like to have a, a year. I mean, I use all my techie stuff. I have calendars on my Macs and on my I think he's in, but I have a paper calendar that I put on the wall where I can get the overview of, of the things that are coming up so that I, re- I can look ahead and say, Oh, you know, this month I've got three trips I've got to take on. Probably shouldn't agree to, you know, do this other thing. And so to me, that's really important to have a context and, and that bigger perspective of, of what the year and, and then the month is looking like. And beyond that, it's um, keeping in mind, and I have, again, in Evernote, a, a list of what my priorities, my uh, my guiding principles are, the, the life I want to have, the, the person I want to be. And from that, I have chosen certain goals, long-term goals, that then I break down into smaller pieces. And each month, each week, I'm focusing on two or three of those to... Um, to try and take steps forward on, on a, a weekly, if not daily basis. And, you know, you have to build in review time to, to stay aware of that. Right. You know, I've, I've never really been very good at looking at the big picture of the year and whole, but, you know, as I, as I sit here and I think about this, I have several very big commitments this year. You know, we've got a, a big, my brother's getting married. We have a big family wedding. Uh, we've actually got three family weddings. All of my family members are getting married this summer, apparently. So th- this is the year that I will go broke. Um, and I've got several conferences and I've got, you know, several other commitments. And, you know, just thinking about that in my head and plotting those out on a calendar, you know, looking at those things, gosh, it, it, it's going to be at least a very busy first half of the year and, and knowing what else can I commit to? Well, there's probably not a whole lot else I can commit to between now and July and things start to, to even out a little bit after the summer. But that, that's easy to forget when you're in the middle of the day to day and someone asks you, oh, can you do this? Oh, can you take on that? You know, I think um, I, I know you recommend kind of a, a year um, kind of on one sheet of paper calendar, and we'll put a link in the show notes to the one that you use. I think I may get one of those and put it up in my office and and start calendaring out some dates of, you know, nothing else can happen this month. Nothing else can, no more commitments can go in this month because saying saying no is difficult, except for maybe when you're looking at that calendar and seeing, gosh, these are the, these are the big things that I have to do and have to calendar on here might be helpful. Yeah, because if you're not, um, if you don't have that big picture, it's just so easy to to fall victim to you know the the desire to please other people or you know just the desire to do stuff things that come up that sound fun or interesting and and if you don't take that moment to look at the bigger picture of what your other commitments are you may end up spending time 
uh, on things that are maybe less important to you or giving short shrift to the things that really do matter. And, and, you know, on that whole concept, I, I, I always refer back to, you know, the book essentialism, what, what a game changer that was for me in really trying to focus on what are the things that really, really matter to me and, uh, I encourage people to do that, to think, to think, spend the time to think about that. All right. What really matters to me? What do I want my life to mean and to look like? And uh, are the things that I'm doing on a day-to-day basis reflecting that? Uh, a couple hacks for that. Um, uh, number one is, I, I think I've talked about this on the show in the past. I actually keep a text list on my phone um, and it's, I call it the no list. And every time I say no to something, I write it down on the list and I've also taken to putting some of my yeses, my big yeses on that list. And sometimes when someone makes me an opportunity, I will look at that list and say, well, and it sometimes it just brings clarity to me. I'll, I'll yeah. see things I've said no to that were even like kind of a bigger deal than the thing that's on my plate right now. And then it makes it easier for me to say, I, I say no, I, I really struggle with turning down opportunities. It's very hard for me to do that. So that that's a little hack that has helped me. That's and great. And the other one that helps me is um, I do a very similar kind of introspective thing, but I always do it on my birthday. I don't do it on New Year. And I feel like my birthday is kind of particular to me. You know, the rest of the world is moving on. I'm not in the middle of the holidays and, you know, just getting getting out of my environment and going somewhere quiet and spending three or four hours looking at, you know, what worked and didn't work in the last year and what my goals are. Um it's a hippie nonsense kind of thing, but it works. And, uh, and birthday is another good time to do that. If, if you're out there and you've missed, you missed new year and you're like, ah, too late. I'm already on my way. Uh, consider taking a half day on your birthday and going to the beach or somewhere nice and, um, and sorting this stuff out. Yeah, I think that's a, a great idea. And it's some, I, I do a similar sort of smaller review around my birthday. I, I'm kind of keyed into those, uh, landmark dates, but to me, it's all about, you know, making the life that you want for yourself, a life that matters as you define it. And, and that's one of the things I love about your show, all those tools and the things that you talk about while they sort of satisfy my nerdy soul, they're also just tools for helping, you know, manage the demands of life so that you can focus on the things that really matter. Yeah. Well, let's, let's go to the nerdy side of this. Because uh, you had some ideas that I thought were quite useful for uh, for our nerd uh, listeners to uh, to put some of this into practice. Okay, the the nerdy pieces you want to know about the yeah, tools and things the, that I use. The, yeah, some of the yeah tools you are on use. the Mac Power users, so you got to give us a, a few little geeky things that you yeah. use to help get this done. Well, and and I, none of it's going to be particularly innovative because most of what the tools that I use are your fault. Uh, you know, I've <laughs> learned about them from okay. you guys. So I, I'm a, I've mentioned already that I use Evernote for a lot of things. That's where I keep my list of possible words. The the then once I've chosen, I go my words. I go through and sort of uh, make a list of how how I want to implement those words into my life. I keep my list of long term objectives and goals there. I use um, day one for journaling through this process for the thinking, not just what happened this year, but how do I feel about what happened and did it get me where I wanted to go? Um, you know, I'm a, 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 I, I live and die by my calendar once I, I have these goals planned in order to be able to make the time to accomplish those things. Uh, I, I've got to 
have everything in one place to look at it. And so I use BusyCal on my Mac and um, Calendars 5 on my iThingies to, to manage the schedule and so on. So those are some of the tools that I rely on pretty heavily. Well, it's good to know it works. Yeah. Well, works for me anyway. Well, Laura, thank you so much for, for joining us and for sharing some of your tips. Now, you have an entire episode of The Productive Woman that goes much more in depth. I know we only spent about yeah, 15 to 20 minutes here talking about this. Um, tell people a little bit more about where they can find you and where they can find your podcast if, if they want to learn a little bit more and go a little more in depth about this type of stuff. Sure. Well, I'm kind of pretty much everywhere online that people are. I'm on Twitter and Facebook, and, and but the best place to find me is on the website for the show, which is theproductivewoman.com. You'll find all the episodes there and different ways to connect with me uh, just by going there. Awesome. And I think it's show 70 where you specifically, and I'll put a link to that show in yes. particular um, in the show notes. It's show 70 where you go back and talk um, in depth about, you know, choosing your words for this year, some of the tools and the processes that you use um, for going forward. And I think that's a great episode that people can can listen to kind of as they're, as they're thinking about 2016 and, and how they can make the most of it. Yeah, well, that was the intention. So I hope it's helpful. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you have a wonderful 2016. And uh, we look forward to hearing more from you soon. Thanks so much, David and Katie. All right. Well, we have got a whole lot more to share. Uh, this is the live show after all, and I've got a lot to share from our listeners here. But before we do that, David, why don't you tell us a little bit about our first sponsor? Yes, I'm uh, happy to talk about our first sponsor, our friends over at Fujitsu, makers of outstanding scanners for the iPhone, iPad, and the Mac. Uh, I've got my Fujitsu iX500 on my desk. It's really just an amazing scanner. It's full duplex, so it can scan both sides of the pa uh, page at one time. You know, when you put documents in there, if they're two-sided, you're going to get it with one shot. It's got a 50-sheet feeder. It uses USB 3.0, which means it's super fast. It can do 25 pages per minute. And it can scan directly not only to my Mac, but to mobile devices. It's got the ability in there to, to wirelessly get it right on my iPad or my iPhone. It's just an amazing tool. I use it every day. Like one of the things I do with it is, you know, the mail comes in. And now not only does the mail come in for um, my personal mail, but a lot of practice as well. And everything goes right through there. You know, like people say, well, why don't you have an assistant? It's just so easy. I just stick it in the Fujitsu. It scans it. It's automatically digitized and in my system as fast as I can hand it to an assistant. I can have it scanned into my system. So uh, really super useful. They've got an advanced paper feeding system. So if it grabs two pages, it actually does like a sonar ping and it knows. So it uses a separation roller to make sure that doesn't happen. So I almost never have jams or multi-feeds. And it's got um, a lot of scanning options. The software is really good. It's got the ability to do optical character recognition right when I scan it in. In fact, that's how m most every piece of paper in my life gets scanned in, gets the optical character recognition through the Fujitsu software. Um, and they've got these quick menus. So if you're an Evernote user or if you're whatever, you know, whatever your thing is, they've probably got a hook in there to get it right in for you. Now, the Axe 500 is the big the big daddy goes on the desk, but maybe you want something smaller. They have something like the S1300, which is more portable, still a, a duplex and 12 pages per minute. So it's still pretty great. But if you don't want to keep it on your desk, that's one look at. And if you're going to go out on the road, the IX100 is the ultimate in portability. It scans 300 dots per inch, uh, inch in 5.2 seconds. 
and it'll fit in your glove box, your briefcase, your backpack, whatever, very small and USB powered. So they've got something for everybody out there. And um, I've just, we've just never gone wrong with these Fujitsu scanners. I was buying them long before they were a sponsor. I'm sure I'll be buying them long after they're a sponsor. Uh, if you want to learn more, go to ez.com slash SSMPU, scan, snap, Mac power users. Oh, actually, uh, David, they have a new website for us. Oh, do they? I know there was an issue yep, with it. There was an okay. issue with the website. Thanks to the Mac Power users for pointing that out. Um, it's actually budurl.me slash SSMPU. We'll fix that in the show notes as well. But, budurl. B-U-D-U-R-L.me slash SSMPU. Okay, there you go. that makes sense. Uh, so go to that website. If you end up getting it somewhere else, let them know you heard about it from us anyway, because I know there's lots of places you can go to get these scanners. Uh, thank you so much, Fujitsu, for sponsoring the show and just making this outstanding product that we use every day. Yeah. All right. So we got a lot of uh, questions from our listeners for you, David, about this iPad Pro of yours and using it for sheet music. Apparently, a lot of the Mac Power users listeners are, first off, interested in the iPad Pro and secondly, interested about using it for their musical interests. And that was something that you mentioned when we were talking about the iPad Pro, but you kind of skimmed over it and said, maybe we'd come back to it. So yeah, it's I time to come back it. to it. I kind of handled it like uh, Lucas handled the Clone Wars in episode four. Yeah, I just mentioned the it. The Clone Wars have started it. and moving on. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the um, first of all, it doesn't surprise me at all that our um, listeners are a lot of musicians. There's so many creative people that listen to our show. Um, and I should have talked about it more. Uh, so there's a particular app I use for this. And I have this is not a category. You know, a lot of times I will download every app and test them all and report in. Uh, this is not that category. I, I bought this app. It's called Fourscore when I got my first iPad years ago and I've it, it's continued to update. They haven't required me to buy a new version, but they actively develop it. And there may be something better out there. I don't know. I, I would say that several times in the last few years, I've been out in public seeing professional musicians, musicians using their iPad. And of course, cause I'm a nerd, I would look and they, most of them were using four score. So I, I think it's a pretty good app. F O R S C O R E. And uh, it's a viewer for sheet music. I mean, in, in, in some ways, it's a glorified PDF app, but it, it's much more than that, because if you took a PDF app and said, let's make it for a musician, like, for instance, it has really easy page turning. I can tap on the right or the left side of the page while I'm playing to go forward or backward. And I play the saxophone and the piano. So, you know, different, you know, different times you need to, to turn the page differently. Uh, it syncs with Dropbox, iCloud, and some of the other cloud services. I've got, for instance, all my sheet music saved to a folder in Dropbox, so it, it just goes right in there. It's got a set list feature, which is really great. So if I want to sit down and play through like seven or eight of my favorite Thelonious Monk songs, I can create a set, and then it just goes from one to the next, and, and I just tap the page, and it keeps going. They also have annotation, and annotation in Fourscore has always been you know, kind of wonky because of the, the inherent challenges with annotating anything with your finger. Although they did have like musical symbols and things you could put in. However, with the Apple pencil and the iPad pro, it's now super great, you know, because you can really write on the music and it's just no problem at all. Um, another thing they have, I don't own one of these, but I've seen people using it with this application. I know it's built in is, is Bluetooth pedal support. Now, if you're a piano player, you know, you know, use a pedal to, to, to mute or to sustain, but this is a Bluetooth pedal that connects to your iPad. So you can literally uh, step on it below the instrument you're playing and the page will turn, which is a great idea. Um, 
Uh, it's got a metronome in it. So if you're trying to get your timing right, it'll, it'll do the metronome. My daughter sings um, opera and it's got a pitch pipe. So she can put her opera music on there and it can actually play a pitch pipe for her as she's getting ready to start a song. So it just seems like every feature that you would need to really, you know, knock it out of the park with your music is, um, is there. I'm using it with things like on my sax. I've got the real book in there, which is a lot of music. It handles that just fine. Um, uh, it's just easy to use and play. And, and on the iPad in general, the iPad pro, um, I've always felt like it, it was always difficult for me to read my music on the standard size iPad. I could read it, but it, you see, I'd end up catching myself squinting music, a sheet music. I don't know if you know this, Katie is generally oversized. It's mm-hmm. bigger than a typical eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. So even on the iPad pro, it's still shrunken based, you know, in comparison to what you would buy in the store, but it's, it is a lot easier to read on that bigger screen. So uh four score is the app I would recommend. And if you're really into it, get yourself a Bluetooth pedal. I think they're about $50. I've never priced them out, but um, a guy was selling them a few years ago, Macworld when I was walking around and I think he had them for like $50 for a pair and you could, you know, go forward or backward by just stepping on them. And uh, so there you go. Music with the iPad pro. Yeah. And then people also wanted to know about how that pencil really worked for annotations on the iPad Pro, because I know you said, you know, you weren't really using it for drawing type applications, but you're using it quite a bit like to mark up PDFs and sounds like maybe to mark up sheet music and all too. Yeah, exactly. And the the iPad Pro in general is just, you know, I'm, I'm getting used to the big size of it. It doesn't shock me now when I pick it up. And I'm using it increasingly like I, I've talked on the show about the iPad Air one that, you know, I was thinking I'll probably keep it because it's really doesn't have that much value to make it a resell. Now I'm starting to think I may just resell it because I just it sat on the shelf for like a week and a half now because I'm just always going to the iPad Pro. Um, uh, so the uh, the workflow I was talking about is, you know, I do a lot of contract review and um, I had a big contract with a with a company that. Big, big time company, big time lawyers. And of course, they didn't want to give me it as a word document. They had their, you know, micro printed 100 page contract and PDF form. So I sat on the couch and um, and got the big old iPad out and I started working through it. And it was such a just a smooth workflow using the pencil. Uh, I was using PDF pen. Surprise, surprise. You know, <laughs> and uh, PDF pen supports the pencil just fine. I mean, I can and I can. I can write right on it like I'm writing on a piece of paper. I don't need to zoom in, but if I want to, I can. And, uh, you know, the pencil tool and PDF pen handles it brilliantly. Uh, right before we went on air, I loaded up PDF expert because I know a lot of listeners use that one as well and uh, tested it. And it works well there as well. Um, the workflow I was using, though, was I was using the pencil to to write and like highlight a few things. Also using the pencil just to use the built in highlighter because I did OCR this um, contract. Uh, thanks to Fujitsu. Anyway, um, so the um, and using the pencil makes it much easier to get the highlights in the right place than your finger because it's much more precise. So that was a benefit. And then, you know, the the next thing I would do is a lot of times I will put little bubble annotations in something when I want to have like a paragraph, like I'll have an alternative paragraph or something where I want to comment on something and and writing a, a pencil comment isn't enough. Um, and in that case, I was using the other new app that I've been using a lot lately, Dragon Anywhere. And on the iPad Pro, you can just swipe over from the right side of the screen because it uh, Dragon Anywhere fully supports the um, the multi app tasking. And I can dictate into it really easily, 
and then I've got that text, and I just copy that text into the comment in the PDF. Does that make sense? Did I go through that too fast? No, that makes sense. Okay, so so just picture yourself there with the pencil and the um, the nice big screen and the ability to add text with your voice. And I made quick work of that thing, and um, and it's just it was really eye opening for me about how powerful you know this bigger screen tablet can be. So I'm loving it. Um, a few other apps. I, I did say I don't do a whole lot of art, but of course, since I have this thing, I've been playing with it a lot. Um, the, there's three apps I would recommend if you want to do the art stuff. Uh, the first is uh, one called Procreate. I think I paid $5 for it. And it's a drawing app, very powerful with layers. And um, that's nice. Like the um, like I tried to draw some of the the Pixar characters because you know, I've got these little tutorials. And a lot of times you have to get basic circle square shapes as a basis for your drawing. I don't know if you, have you ever done any uh, illustration, Katie? I mean, it, it did not end well. No, okay. I have no skill. <laughs> well, just give it some time. You probably, cause I, I enjoy it once in a while. So you select these things and, um, and so you draw these basis shapes and then you draw the shape on top. Like I was driving, drawing Eve from Wally and it's basically uh, an, an oblong in a regular size circle. And, and so using this basic shapes and you draw lines through them so you can get them split where you know where the, to put the eyes and things like that, but you do it as a layer and then you draw on top of it once you get everything sorted out, but using procreate, then you can later remove those original layers and it makes you look like you're brilliant. So uh, that's a great one. If you're, if you're a real artist, definitely use procreate. One of my, um, a family friend is an art, a professional artist and I, she used my iPad for about 30 minutes and she learned procreate. She's not a big geek, but she totally figured out procreate in the, the amount of time I made a beautiful drawing. Uh, another one that I would recommend is Zen brush. It's kind of fun. It's like the Asian, you know, painting, nice thick brush. Uh, it's a great thing to make kind of your own wallpapers if you want. And the third one is there's this, you know, there's this comic book craze. You, I'm sorry. Um, coloring book craze. Are you familiar with this? I've heard Mike talk about it quite a bit. I'm not yeah, sure I understand it, but I'm, I've heard about it. It's a thing. My wife gave me a, a Star Wars uh, coloring book for Christmas. I'm like, man, I have just completely reverted. But the, um, but so Mike has been talking about this app called Pigment, and I went ahead and, and got that, and that's really fun too. So it's got drawings already, and then you just color them in, and you know you're sitting in front of the TV. It's kind of fun. So there you have it: uh, pencil annotations with the iPad Pro. All right. We also heard from Adam and others talking about mail tags and uh, workflow questions. And uh, you and I have talked kind of offhand that we're both using mail tags to manage some of a professional email. And I had made the comment that, you know, I've created all these rules and you're like, of course, I didn't. Why haven't you been doing that for the whole time? And uh, Adam and several others said, well, well, tell us what the details are. How are you pulling this off? Well, let's talk first about, you know, kind of what the problem is that we're trying to solve with with mail tags. And um, we've talked a little bit about our email workflows. And I, I think that 2016 is the year that we're probably going to go more in depth about email workflows. But you and I both prefer not to have a bunch of folders associated with our emails in a perfect world. We prefer to kind of to have, you know, only the emails that we have to in our inbox and process those and get them out of our inbox as quickly as process as quickly as possible. Maybe have a very few select group of folders and then just have this big archive folder that if we need to go back and find something that it's that's in the archive. 
And mail and other applications have been very good for years about searching things. But sometimes you want a way that you can, you know, people, what I've done for years in my work is unfortunately I have created subfolders within mail related to clients. And, you know, it's one thing when you have five or six subfolders, but then once you start to get into 20 and 30 and 50 and 70 subfolders, then it starts to get real unwieldy to say, okay, well, this has got to go in the Smith file. This has got to go in the Jones file. This has got to go in that file. Um, yeah, and let's just talk about that for a minute. The, the problem with it is um, it requires the physical act of, of dragging or moving the email into those subfolders, which is error prone. I mean, especially when you have a lot of them, it's easy to put it into the wrong one. And there's also an amount of time you're going to spend doing that. And let's say it takes five seconds to do that. But let's say you process 200 emails a day, you know, seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's, you start to realize that you put a lot of time into creating this on the iOS devices. I think it would take more than five seconds because you'd have to scroll through a long list. And once again, tap it in the right place. And how often do you hit the wrong one by accident? It's it, it's just not ideal for a lot of reasons. Right. And we've talked in the past and we've had shows in the past about tagging. And I will tell you candidly, I've never gotten into tagging in the Finder. It's just not something that I've ever done. But you actually first brought up the idea of tagging emails. And this is not something that is natively supported in Mail.app, but we both use an app called MailTags, which brings this functionality to Mail, which allows you, and Google has done this for a while. Google has labels instead of tags. But what it allows you to do is to set an, a tag associated with an email. And in, in MailTags, you can either set a project or you can set a keyword. I think those are the two big things you can set. I there's more. Yeah. There's more. But, I, I yeah. personally tend to only use projects. I don't think I use keywords, although I, I could see a use for them. And in my use case, what I have done is I have affiliated projects with clients. You could perhaps, if you had clients that had multiple issues, you could then set up keywords associated with those issues. But so I think you just have to do a little mapping to begin with based on your workflow and, and how is this going to work best for you? How are you going to set up your projects or your keywords? But, but then you still have the same issue is you need to take the time to attach a, um, a, um, an email to a project, which takes time. And then the, the other problem is mail tags does not exist in iOS. So you can't tag emails when you're on the go with your iPhone or your iPad. Right. However, there's some solutions for this and, and it really involves automation. You've got in Apple mail, especially when you install mail tags and if you get its companion product mail act on uh, there's a lot of rule sets you can apply to rules uh, to, to email. And, and when you have mail tags installed uh, the developer is very eager to make this work. Um, you can create rules that automatically assign an email to a project based on any sort of criteria you set up. Right. And so anything that comes from the Acme paper company.com is automatically going to get assigned. You can create a rule that automatically assigns anything from that domain name with the Acme tag. Yeah. So, so how do we do it? There, there's a couple uh, guidelines I would give. This is one where you're probably going to want an any rule as opposed to an all rule. I mean, generally rules you say you want to have a series of conditions get satisfied before something happens. Uh, especially when you have a, a rule that's like going to delete an email or do something like that. But all we're doing here is assigning projects. So when I create, when I have a new client, I create a rule that looks for the name of anybody from that company, essentially, or anybody that I deal with, whether it's the controller or the CEO or 
the guy on the street who's the sales guy, whoever I'm dealing with from that company, I know it's going to be involved with that. So the first thing in my rule would, would be a list of people. So any email from that person, any one of those people would be enough to justify uh, telling mail tags to uh, assign a project to it. I will also include uh, the um, the reference line. So if if it if the name of the company is in the reference line, then it's probably related to that project. So go ahead and assign it. Um, so I've, I've got this variety of different like weird circumstances that can happen uh, that will will create a rule to assign it. Like, are there any more that you're using than those projects? No. Like, yeah. So basically subject line and, and persons. And then you're going to create a sister rule for this, uh, for outgoing and it's any recipient. So anytime the recipient is one of the people on this list. Um, and, um, and, but if you do that, it does a really good job of capturing these emails. Um, be careful in setting them up. Like one of the things that the application does is a lot of times it'll take a currently selected email and try and automatically set them. And so for instance, when I'm, when I, I copy a rule from an outgoing to an incoming. Um, it may change a name to David, to my email address. Cause it sees an email with my email address on it. And if you don't cap catch that and you put the rule into exit, you know, into action, it's going to go back and assign every email in your box that has your name on it to that one project, which is not a good result. <laughs> so, uh, so you want to be careful, but set in and out rules. And if you're just careful setting those, then you've got the computer doing the work for you. And then as the project moves forward, there may be a new player, like in, in a lawyer's context, maybe an opposing counsel shows up or somebody you're working with on the other side. Um, then you can go in and add the, um, you can go ahead and add that person to the list. You know, you can always add additional names to the rule and it just makes it really great. And then when you're processing an iPad, don't worry about it. Right. Because the, the magic is you can go back and apply them later. Have you done that, Katie? Where you no, go back I, and... I haven't done that. But I'll tell okay. you, my, I want to hear more about this. So my solution, because you process them on iOS, there's no mail tags for iOS. So my solution for this is mail tags has a sync feature, but honestly, I, I haven't found it works very reliably. I, I need to probably email their support where you can sync the settings through Dropbox, but mm, I found it to be hit or miss. But what I've done is I've set up mail tags on my Mac mini server at home with all the rules that I have at the office because the rules sync back and forth because that syncs through through um, Apple settings. Yeah. Um, and I just keep that running all the time, 24-7 when I'm at home or just. And so typically by the time it gets to my iOS device, the, the rules have already been applied. But you're yeah, you're doing something different. Tell me what you explain to me again what you're doing. So you're processing something on iOS. It goes into the archive and it's retroactively applying the tag. Well, no. The first of all, I'm doing what you do. I have my iMac running all time with mail open. Occasionally, I forget to have it open though, and um, or for one reason or another, that the the project tag just doesn't apply. Right. Um. And and quite often this happens with outgoing email because I'm tagging all outgoing the same way. You know, with right. when I make the alternative rule. And just for some reason, it doesn't get tagged. So what I do is I go into, and this is only, the only thing I'm tagging is my professional stuff, the the Sparks Law stuff. So um, so I go into the archive on the Sparks Law account, and I go into the sent items on the Sparks Law account, and this is on the Mac. So if you go into the archive, you could you can select, you know, all of the messages in there, Command A, and if you right-click on it, 
you can say apply inbox rules. There's oh, a there's an option there. Yeah, and so it will go through there retroactively and study everything. And I have a lot of emails in there, and sometimes it takes a couple minutes to kind of grind through, but it automatically goes through and do, does it all. Now, if you go into sent items, uh, which is your sent you know folder, do the same thing, but apply um, um, outbox rules. You know, and um, both of those options exist to you when you right click on it. And it's a great way to go back retroactively and just hit everything. So you just and do I do that every I just couple that, of days, every week. I don't even do it every couple. I do it every couple of weeks. And, you know, and the funny thing is we spent all this time setting this up. Um, it's not that often that I ever go and look at these mailbox, these project mailboxes. But it's nice to know I can do it with very little work. You know, you know, the, the problem I had earlier was saying when you start looking at all the time you spend tagging or all the time you spend moving things to a certain folder, um, it's never the payoff is never worth the investment. You know, you never get out of it what you put into it. But this the investment is very small, just setting up these rules. And every time you get a new project or a new client, you've got to spend just a couple minutes setting these rules up. But other than that, it just happens. And um, it's nice. Uh, a couple uh, hiccups I also run into is what do you do when you have a single client with multiple projects? And you, you kind of mentioned that earlier. Um, like a lot of my clients are corporate stuff where I do their corporate stuff, but suddenly they end up getting sued or, you know, there's some big project that requires a separate project. Um, I have tried making rules like um, and but they, they conflict inevitably because, you know, if you try and make a rule and it says if Katie Floyd is a recipient and Katie Floyd is the main is the, is the company president. So her she's going to be attached to the corporate general stuff. And if I set up a separate litigation thing and it's just said as Katie Floyd is a recipient on the litigation, it's not going to know what to do. Whichever one it hits first is what's going to happen. Um you know, one thing you could do is make a very particular rule and bring it outside the normal rules. Like I would make a subject line to say Katie Floyd versus Wiley Coyote. And I would put that in the subject line of every email related to it. Um, but that doesn't really handle the problem with the incoming emails because the opposing counsel isn't always going to follow my mailbox rules. I don't know why they yeah. should. Um, well, we may be getting a little too deep in lawyer specific issues, but the, but, the, I mean, this, this could be applied, it could be applied to other things. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, so the the point is, uh, my resolution to all this is I'm generally keeping um, the just one big folder for the Katie Floyd client or company, and if I want to break it out, I will add tags because mail tags has tags too, and I can tag stuff to particular projects, and that allows me to break it up. So if you've got a customer that has multiple whatever things you're working on with them, I would start with the projects and add tags. All right. Um, we got an email and I've actually seen this question before, um, but this particular question was from John. And I, I know other listeners have had this question, so it's probably good for us to do just a, a general recap of this. But he says, I'm I'm trying to get into automating my Mac and I've played around with Text Expander and I really like it. Um, but both Keyboard Maestro and Hazel sound intriguing, but I'm having a hard time wrapping my mind around the differences. It seems to me that you can do almost everything in Keyboard Maestro that Hazel can do. So the question I think really is, what are the differences between these apps? When do you use one? When do you use the other? Um, you know, 
we talk about kind of the hierarchy of automation when you start with automating your Mac, you know, start with text expander, then graduate to Hazel, then graduate to keyboard maestro. You know, maybe those lines are getting blurred a little bit, but it, it can be confusing for people who are just getting into this of, you know, what is the app that you use for what? Um, yeah. Do you want to you want to take this one? Or well, um, I, I can start with it. I, I think part of it is that um, as these apps evolve, you're you're starting to see a little bit of feature creep in some of these apps. Where you know it used to be a, a pretty clear division between text expander was the app that you used for automatically expanding you know little bits of text into longer ones, and now you know keyboard maestro has a little bit of that. Um, it used to be that Hazel was really the app that you used for automatically filing things. Um, and now Hazel can really do some amazing things with Apple Script that used to be a little bit more into keyboard maestro domain. But Text Expander can really do some crazy things with Apple and Shell scripts now, too. So it seems to be that as all of these apps are evolving, the lines between what you use them for are a little less clear, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, um, so it's harder to tell. I, I still think that there's a place for each of these apps. And I'll tell you that that I use them all. Um, but many of these apps now cross the lines and will do different things. Uh, and we've done shows on each of these. If you want to go back in the archives and, and look about, you know, Text Expander and Hazel and Keyboard Maestro, I, I guess I can tell you what I use Text Expander and what I use Hazel for and what I use Keyboard Maestro for. Or I, I don't know if that would be helpful. Well, do it briefly. Let's hear it. Yeah. I mean, Text Expander is certainly my go-to app for, you know, expanding little snippets of text into larger ones or for doing simple automation relating to text. You know, if I'm, you know, creating things with text, Text Expander is the app that I'm going to use. Um, now, text can then fire off perhaps an Apple script or a shell script, but but text has to be the basis of what I'm doing. And that's what I'm going to use Text Expander for. Now, yeah, and I would I, I would add to that that the reason why I would use that as opposed to like the feature in Keyboard Maestro is that Text Expander um, is is a one trick pony. It does that very well. I mean, they have better support for clippings. It's easier to set them up, and then they have the synchronization to the iOS app where I can do all the same stuff on my big iPad or my phone. And um, to me, it's worth the investment to have that tool because it, it in my in my opinion, um, and probably objectively, if you look at the feature list, um, it does more more powerfully in that little narrow area of dealing with text. Right. And and keep in mind that that's what Text Expander does. And as it continues to grow and evolve, I mean, other apps may gain some of these features, but they those may be more secondary features. I think Text Expander is going to still continue to be the go-to app for that. Now, if you yeah. shift over into what Hazel does, I have always considered Hazel to be primarily a file management app. Hazel is going to be the app that takes files and moves them from point A to point B. If I'm thinking about how can I take this file and do something with it, uh, Hazel is going to be the app that I, I look for that. Now, that may be simply something as easy as moving a file from my downloads folder to somewhere else or taking a file from my downloads folder and importing it into Evernote or importing it um, into iTunes or into the Photos app or things like that. Now, Hazel can certainly do much more powerful things that can attach files to emails and, um, gosh, all kinds of things that Hazel can do. But Hazel is primarily my app for working with and, and moving files. Um, like one, one of the things, I, I didn't test it because I just ran out of time in prepping for today's show, but uh, for me, a distinction, to me, the question with Hazel, because it really has nothing to do with text, so it's not really a text expander substitute, 
but do you need Hazel or Keyboard Maestro? I mean, could you get by with just Keyboard Maestro and not Hazel? And the um, I think a lot of the things you do in Hazel, you could get by with with Keyboard Maestro. Um, uh, there are some things I don't think are possible. For instance, one of the Hazel rules I, I run um, will look for something like a utility bill and then and it looks for it by looking at the contents of the file, you know, because I've scanned it with my, you know, scan snap and it's got the OCR done already. So it looks for my utility company name and then it says, OK, this is utility bill. And then it looks inside the document for a date and that's the date that's printed on the bill. And then it grabs that date and turns it into the name of the file. So it names the file accurately, the date of the of the invoice. And that is something I wanted to see if I could do with Keyboard Maestro. I'm not confident it can. Maybe it can. And I just haven't figured it out yet. But so there's some this is another thing where there when you go kind of a level deeper for that kind of job, Hazel is very, very good. And then that kind of brings us to Keyboard Maestro. Well, and just to add one more thing is I think Hazel is going to be able to do those file manipulation things a lot easier. And it's going to be a lot easier to set up than perhaps it would be with Keyboard Maestro. Perhaps you could do it with Keyboard Maestro, but that's really what Hazel was built for. Yeah, but then I have to wonder, is that true or is it just because we're familiar with the language of Hazel? It's not exactly intuitive of how to do what I just explained. I had to make a video to explain to people how to do it. Oh, um but the um, but but then Keyboard Maestro is more of a jack of all trades. It does it does text expansion. It does filing. It does a whole lot more. I mean, there's things you can do with Keyboard Maestro that can't be done with the other applications because it looks at your USB ports and it's just it's almost like a scripting language for the computer in general. And um, boy, it, it's it's a really powerful tool. So so I don't know. I guess if you wanted to um, if you wanted to you know save money and just go with one. Um, I, it would be really hard for me to tell you which one you need because it depends on what you're going to do with it. And, and the good news is these really aren't that expensive. I think for probably about a hundred bucks, you could own all three, um, in that neighborhood. So, um, so take a look, but, but I, I, I would not encourage you to, to try and make everything work off one app because this stuff saves you so much time. If, if getting one that's slightly better at one piece of this uh, saves you an hour a week. That's 52 hours a year. I mean, that's a whole working week. You just saved for maybe $35. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's take a minute to talk about our next sponsor and then get back to some of the more general feedback on the last couple shows. Yeah. So our next sponsor for this episode is going to be our pals over at SaneBox. And you want to talk about a utility that that saves you time and is worth every penny that I pay for it and then some. Um, that's going to be SaneBox. And what SaneBox does, it is it brings order to the chaos that is your email. So if you want to get started with SaneBox, head over to SaneBox.com slash MPU, and that's going to give you a two-week free trial of SaneBox. But my guess is if you're like the rest of the Mac Power users audience, it's not even going to take you the full two weeks to decide that this is just an indispensable tool that you're going to use um, for your email. Now, you may have heard of some of these email apps that tend to come and go and get sunset and things like that, that will allow you to do things like snooze your email or send your emails to particular folders or organize your emails. Well, hey, guess what? SaneBox does all of that. It's been doing all of that stuff for a long time and a whole lot more. And SaneBox will work with any email application or service. You don't have to have a particular app to use SaneBox. You don't have to change anything that you do with your email workflow. All you've got to do is sign up for SaneBox and connect your email to it. 
So what SaneBox is going to do is it's going to start learning how you use your email and it's going to start automatically filtering it for you. So first off, you've got the same later folder and what's going to happen is all of the emails that aren't that important are going to go into the same later folder, which means it's going to keep your inbox open for what really matters. And then you can create all of these snooze folders, which are great for deferring emails until you want to look at them. Maybe that's the next business day. Maybe that's a weekend. Maybe that's next Tuesday. It doesn't matter. Whatever works best for your schedule, you can set up custom snooze folders just for you. They've also got this great sane reminders feature. So if you send off an email to someone and you want to make sure that you get a a response from them or you want to make sure that you follow up if you haven't heard them, just CC one week at sanebox.com. And if your receiver doesn't reply, you'll get an email reminder in one week to follow up. It doesn't have to be one week. You can pick any day. You can pick, you know, January 15th. Whatever you want to do, SaneBox is going to fill it out. But SaneBox does even more than that. You can, for example, connect SaneBox to your Dropbox or to other cloud services, and it can pull all of your attachments off of your email. And you know what happens once you get your attachments out of your email and into a service like Dropbox? You can do all sorts of crazy automation with Hazel or Keyboard Maestro or all of these other tools that we've been talking about and start moving and organizing and filtering your attachments to. Uh, the things that you can do with SaneBox are far superior than any of these things that you can do with any of these proprietary email applications, and you don't have to struggle with these new email applications, figure out which one you're going to use for your Mac or your iPad or for your iPhone, and then worry if they're going to be around this time next year, because SaneBox works with everything. Um, so you can go check them out at SaneBox.com MPU. That'll give you a 14-day free trial. And when you decide to sign up, it will save you $10 on any plan. Um, and They've got plans that start as low as about $4 a month, which means that gives you basically two months free depending on the plan that you choose. So thank you to SaneBox for your kind support of Mac Power users. Yeah, I just, I don't know how it would have got through last year without SaneBox. Great service. Um, So we had a a show about, um, you know, getting rid of tech and we talked about the various services you can use uh, to sell your device. And one we didn't get into great detail was the Amazon trade-in program we talked about, but neither one has had any experience with it. Heard from several listeners, Bill and Alex included saying, Hey, they got great prices going with the Amazon trade-in, especially if you want to get Amazon dollars for, it. you know, if you want to use it for Amazon money. So check that out. Um, Bill wrote in to say eBay uh, was giving about f- 15% fees is what he's paying to use eBay. And he found that most useful for selling Macs, but not for iOS devices. So, so we got uh, listeners out there trying it out and, um, and some other services you may want to check out. Um, we also have an audio comment from Christian, and I apologize, his audio is not the greatest here. We'll we'll try to clean it up a little bit. But he, uh, what he has to say was very interesting. He was talking about using his iPad as a laptop replacement. So uh, let me try to play this for you. Hello, David and Katie. My name is Christian Borhan. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. I was listening to your recent episode on focusing on iPad. And at the end of the episode, you guys were discussing whether or not the iPad could be a replacement for a laptop. And um, you guys basically said that maybe uh, it wasn't and that you kind of needed both. But I actually have a um, scenario where it actually can replace an iPad. An iPad can replace a laptop and or a computer. 
I've been working recently with a lot of uh, senior citizens, and uh, they are really frustrated with their desktops, either the Macs or their PCs, because there's all sorts of updates and all sorts of things going on. And all they want to do is check their email and get online and read, uh, look at pictures and stuff. And uh, upgrading them to an iPad is a perfect solution for them. It's... Uh, Really easy for them to check their email, really easy for them to get online, really easy for them to print once we have a printer in there. And um, I have, um, in the last year or so, I have helped several senior citizens move from uh, a laptop or a desktop uh, PC or Mac right just to a, 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 an iPad Air 2 setup with an Air, uh, AirPrint printer. And... Uh, they're absolutely great for them. Uh, I even have a group of ladies that uh, once started with their iPad, and now all of them are using their iPad in this retirement center, and they all get together every day with their iPads, and they share things. It's really, 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 really fun to see. Uh, well, I just wanted to share that with you because um, uh, I have seen that happen, uh, iPad being a replacement for a computer, either a laptop or a desktop. Uh, love what you do. Continue the show, and uh, we'll continue listening. Thank you. Um, I think that's a great tip. You know, I've I've had a couple of people in my own family that we've transitioned, you know, particularly from PCs to um, to iOS devices. And I think with the iPad Pro having a, a bigger screen, that's going to be great for um, maybe more novice computer users or from seniors. I think the the only tip that I would add there is I would say be careful that you don't make that transition too late because I I have seen that um, when you try to transition someone from um, you know one operating system to another even if it's from PC to a Mac or from a even from a Mac to an iOS device even though that new device may be better for their needs or or may meet their needs perfectly, uh, you may find that, you know, at some point it kind of becomes more difficult to learn new skills. Um, and and so, you know, try to make that transition a little sooner rather than later, because it, it does become more difficult as time goes on. I think the nice thing about it is it's liberating in the sense that it's so easy to buy and install applications on the iOS devices in comparison to a Mac or a PC that a lot of people who would be very afraid of trying new things, uh, will try new things with an iPad. Um, and, and I didn't mean to say that with that comment that you can't get work done with an iPad. In fact, I, I'm discovering every day with this iPad Pro that I, I can get a lot of work done. But um, there are certain things, and I guess it depends on what you do, that you still may need a Mac for. And, um, and you know, your mileage may vary. I, I think of my sister, who is not a, a power computer user, and she started using an iPad three or four years ago. And like now when I go to her house to do my usual, you know, system upgrade, I'll see that I'm like the last one that logged into her Mac. I mean, she'll go six months without turning right. it on. And, um, and that is, um, that's a good sign for the iPad, you know? Did I ever um, tell you the story of my, my grandmother and, and her transitioning her to an iPad? No. It's, it's a, so we we did this for her. We transitioned her. She had like a series of of just hand me down whoever you know my aunt or someone very 
well-intentioned meaning, you know, would just hand her down their old, you know, Dell machine or Dell laptop or whatever. And yeah. it was just a nightmare for me because I lived the here and they was, didn't. Yeah, it was a nightmare yeah, for them. The, that's why they gave it to her. <laughs> right. That's why they gave it to her. And all she was using it for was basic email and web surfing. So, uh, I mean, and these were just horrible machines because, you know, they weren't working for them. So uh, anyway, um, so we got her an iPad a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, all seemed to be going well, but she just, she said one day that she didn't really like it. And I was trying to really get out of her, you know, tell me why, tell me, tell me what's not working and maybe we can fix it. Maybe there's another app, maybe there's something. And I just couldn't get her to tell me what she didn't like about it. She just kept saying, it's not the same as my old computer. It's not the same. I don't like it as much. Um, There's just something different about it. And I finally got her to tell me what was different about it and what she didn't like about it. And she said, well, it doesn't tell me that I have mail. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, when I logged on to my other computer, it would say, you've got mail. And my (laughs) iPad doesn't tell me I've got mail. So what'd you do? So, uh, we, we downloaded, I downloaded the, uh, the AOL, you've got mail, you know, wave from somewhere and made that her email alert sound on the iPad. And now she loves it. And now it's fine. Uh, that's Katie. She's she's uh, resourceful. <laughs> nice. There you go. Uh, uh, Tim, uh, speaking on the subject of iPads, Tim wrote in and he said, you know, um, when we, he thought we gave cellular models a little bit of short shrift, he says, don't forget that it's got integrated GPS. And his dad, who's a private poly, uh, pilot, bought the cellular iPad and has only ever used it with Wi-Fi because but it has the GPS chip. He's able to to use it with his uh, aerial navigation applications. Uh, the one he recommends is called Four Flight, F O R E F L I G H T. But if you crash into a mountain because of it, don't blame me. Um, and he says it's got preloaded maps. And for those that prefer to be on terra firma, the GPS functionality might be a welcome addition to car navigation, which is a good point. So um, uh, that's an additional feature you get with the cellular that, and I don't understand why they never put that into the Wi Fi model. I know at the beginning it was a distinction, but I don't now know, it is it maybe like, it like on be. the chip? Uh, maybe it is. Maybe yeah, maybe there's probably a reason for it. Um, and uh, he says it's also additional when traveling and, and you can switch the SIM. I talked about that in the episode that I switched the SIM between the two. It's not a big deal. And and I have a cellular one. I, I like it. Um, it costs me $15 a month uh, on my plan and it goes into my existing pool of data. And I use my iPad on the road enough that it's it's worth it to me. Um. Uh, Donna wrote in about the uh, Be My Eyes app. You know, we we had a um, we had that show last uh, last live show, I believe, and she said that the Be My Eyes app, which allows sighted to assist the visually impaired, which is something I never had heard of. I checked it out, and that's kind of cool. Yep, added a link to that to the show notes as well. Um, do you want to? We got through that kind of fast. You want to go on a little bit, and then I'll get to the next sponsor um, after we talk a little bit. Why don't we hear from Mark first? Hi, Katie and David. This is Mark, and I thought I'd send you this recording about how I write my journal entries. So I use the Day One app, and at the start of the week, I write down three goals. Um, These goals can be uh, sort of practical, like renew a driver's license, or they can be more personal, such as uh, get in touch with a friend to see how he's doing. Um, Then at the end of the week, I come back to those three goals, and below them, I write down my journal entry using the goals as a frame of reference. Maybe I've accomplished them all, maybe I haven't, but 
I write out a journal entry saying how the week went in context of what I wanted to achieve at the beginning of the week. The system sounds simple, but it works for me for two reasons. First of all, um, I always wanted to make a habit of journaling, but any time I tried, I was disappointed with the results because my entries seem sort of boring and mundane, starting with breakfast, going through the morning, going through lunch and afternoon, and it didn't really have much meaning. This way, with the three goals, um, I'm able to bring a lot more meaning to the journal entries because they're more about what I want to achieve. The other reason why I like this system is because I find it complements the GTD methodology. I find GTD is great for making sure that everything I want to do gets done, but the one place where it might be lacking is in getting a good reflection on the big things that are important to you and steering your life in a certain way. So the journaling system works well in this regard because I all not only do it week by week, but I also make a quarterly list and a yearly list. And these lists uh, allow me to reflect at the end of the quarter, at the end of the year, about how things have worked out for me on a much larger scale than the GDT methodology allows. Anyway, thought I'd share it with you. Thanks very much. Great show. Bye now. That's a good idea, kind of holding yourself accountable and getting yourself into journaling at the same time. Yeah, kind of kills two birds with one stone there. Are, are, are you still using day one as a professional journal or... No, not as much anymore. No, I, I'm doing a lot of automation into day one. Um, I'm using, um, gosh, I'll have to remember the name of it. You know, Brett Terpstra has a utility called Slogger. And then there's another one that connects in with If This Then That. And basically, you know, I'm kind of cheating my way into journaling by collecting things like blog posts and tweets and Instagram posts and things like that, and using that as kind of a starting point into day one, kind of automatically collecting all of these things that I'm posting elsewhere. Oh, smart. Yeah, I still use it, but not, I, I, by, uh, hardly every day, you know, I use it, but uh, I just do it when I feel like I have something to say. And uh, just for me, um, the, um, Josh wrote in about the Disney Anywhere app, but before we do that, let's take a minute to talk about our next sponsor. And that's our friends over in Igloo. Um, Igloo, uh, is the company that makes the internet you'll actually like with Igloo. You don't have to be stuck at your desk to do your work. You can manage your task list from your laptop during a meeting, share the status updates from your phone as you are leaving the client site and access the latest version of the file from home. It's just a great way to do it. You can even do it in your pajamas. Um, these days, everything is mobile. Your work should be too. If you've ever looked at your internet for your company and thought, whoever designed this must truly hate me and everyone I know, uh, well, then you're not using Igloo. Igloo is the internet made by people who love internet and want to, to actually work for you. It's, a, it's surprisingly configurable. You can completely rebrand it to give the look and feel of your team. Uh, thanks to group spaces and role-based access permissions, it's easy to drag and drop um, widget editor. You can reorganize the whole platform to fit exactly how your teams work. And with the mobile lives, you can increasingly bring the outside apps into companies and sensitive documents are getting scattered across different platforms. You don't want that. You want everybody to be working on the same page. And 
Igloo solves that problem for you. Igloo allows you to integrate services like Box, Google Drive, and Dropbox into one big, easy-to-secure platform. It's got 256-bit encryption, and it's a single sign-on and Active Directory integration, so all that stuff will work for you. And you can share files with your coworkers and all the collaboration stuff you need without hating your intranet. So um, you can even track them. We know when have they read them, you get read receipts and things like that. So it's time to break away from these terrible intranets and get Igloo. Now, this is the great part about Igloo. You go ahead and sign up and you can try it for free. And it works for free with a team up to 10 people. So if you're a small company, you could have all the benefits I just talked about and it's free. You, you never pay for it. And But if you've got a bigger company, they've got a pricing model, you know, to keep the lights on. Um, but it's just really great. So I'd recommend you check it out, especially small companies, medium, big companies. They got you covered. Go to igloosoftware.com slash MPU. Once again, I-G-L-O-O software.com slash MPU. Thanks so much to Igloo for supporting Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. And, you know, as we get into the new year, this is a great time to, to try and fix the internet at your work. We also heard from Josh about the Disney Anywhere application. And this is something that I was kind of peripherally aware of, but, you know, I, I don't have kids. And even though I love the Disney movies, I don't have very many of them personally. My, my mom has all the Disney movies, I think, on VHS tapes. So we may have to start um, yeah, recollecting them again, that. David. <laughs> yeah, because I think they only come out every couple of years, don't they? Don't they go into the vault for a while? You would know yeah, better they than do. I do. They used to. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, we, we get, we've got at this point, and we're, we're on the, the Disney Anywhere app too. But let's talk about Josh's comment first. And also. Yeah, yeah. But um, what Disney says is, um, what Disney is anywhere it does is he said he he purchased Inside Out through the iTunes store because it was available there first. And, you know, iTunes is doing that now. They're releasing things a couple of weeks ahead of some of the other services. But then he was able to connect it using the Disney Movies Anywhere app, which allows him to connect other services like Amazon Video, Google Play, Microsoft, etc. And then once those accounts are connected, you can then watch the movie from any of those services that are connected. So basically what Disney is doing is saying that you can connect the content on their platform regardless of whether you've purchased it. Now, do you do this? Because I don't have any experience with this, but it sounds like a great idea. Yeah, I, w- I want to look into this because this is a little running battle in our family. My wife always buys these things through Disney anywhere, and I want to buy them on iTunes because, you know, that's the easiest way for me to see them. So I, I want to find out if I can go the opposite direction. Once I buy it in Disney anywhere, can I get it into iTunes as, as well? And I just haven't had time to check into it. But uh, the Disney Anywhere app is actually uh, very forward thinking. It's funny to me. Disney, in a lot of ways, is getting media ahead of some of the other big media companies. But then they run like their entire website on Flash. So you know, they, they have room to improve um, as well. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, while it's while it's nice to be able to connect all these services together, I, I can't help but wonder whether there's an ulterior motive there. Are they like double DRMing it somewhere? You know, I don't know. Maybe everything is de-armed when it comes to video. I mean, you just got to choose your poison. I am. That's true. And that's, and I've kind of chosen the iTunes poison. So I like to keep everything in at least one universe. I don't, you know, I, I will rent movies from, from Amazon, but I I don't buy movies from Amazon because, you know, once I've kind of picked my, my iTunes poison, that's where I'm keeping everything. Yeah. It's, we have, um, you know, we just recently got a Bluetooth player kind of by accident, uh, but we've always been buying the videos on iTunes. And it's the same thing for me. I know that I guess on Bluetooth, I've watched a couple of Bluetooth videos and I think that the bit rate is probably higher and the picture may be slightly better. But the um, to me, there's the convenience of having it on all my devices, not having to go ahead and rip it and just having it already there. 
makes sense. And, and frankly, we've we've transitioned our lives. I mean, when when you have little kids and the listeners that have little kids will bear me out, you buy the videos because kids will watch videos over and over again. But as soon as they get a little bit older, they're like us. You know, they watch a movie once or twice and they're good with it. So it's not too often that we buy movies anymore. Although there is a movie I will buy in a few. Actually, I just bought it. it is the new Star Wars movie. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've already our, pre-ordered it. Well, yeah, more on that too. in a minute, though. Hold that thought. So yeah. um, Larry uh, called in with a, um, a use for the Do app, which is from If This Then That. So let's hear from Larry. Hi, Katie and David. This is Larry from Massachusetts. I've been playing with IFTTT and Zapier for a while, and I wanted to put in a plug for the iOS Do apps from IFTTT, specifically Do Note. Do Note provides a really easy way to add simple text to a variety of applications without the need to navigate the applications. The only navigation in Do Note is to choose the recipe. After that, you type some text and hit the Do button. My simplest and most common use is to add a Todoist task. Rather than having to open the Todoist app, create a new task, and then typing the text, I just use Do Note and the item shows up in my Todoist inbox. One of the more interesting recipes is to append text to an Evernote note. I have two useful applications for this. The first one is a shopping list. My wife and I have shared an Evernote notebook with a shopping list for a long time. We both update the list, and if either of us is near a grocery store, we have the latest shopping list on our iPhones. But adding something to the list requires opening Evernote, finding the right notebook, selecting the note, and then appending the text. With DoNote, we just open DoNote, select a recipe, and type or say milk, and milk shows up at the end of the shopping list along with my initials. My wife has another similar recipe. She's the, the photographer in the family. One of her cameras doesn't do geotagging, so she has a recipe that appends an entry to an Evernote note that includes the current longitude and latitude. So if we're hiking and she takes a picture of, say, Hobblebush, she can open do note, say Hobblebush, and hit the do button, and an entry shows up at the end of the current Evernote note with the text as well as the geolocation. I also use Do Camera for several things, but I'll save that for a future note. Thanks for doing MPU. I'm a big fan and listen to all your podcasts. Thanks, Larry. Um, you know, they, they came out with those three apps, and um, it's been on my list to kind of fiddle with those, and I haven't done it yet. But, I mean, with everything else I love from If This Then That, I, I'm sure there's some great workflows in there. And um, I think the way the reason they pulled them apart was to make it more accessible for people. But I'm not sure yeah. that I didn't prefer the, the the old one better. I mean, the, the old is the old app still in development? And no, it's still that? out. It's still out there. Okay. The regular yeah. if this and that. Yeah. I'll have to, the, I, the do that's, is that's just a, a good simple. Thing for me this you, year. you you press a button and it does something. Yeah, they have one called do button where you press it and it does something. That's kind of nice. And um. And, you know, if this, then that continues to be a thing, we always kind of worry about it because it seems like how are these guys making money? But apparently they must be figuring it out one way or another. Um, uh, we also heard from Mitch uh, talking about Swift text. Hi, Katie and David. You were talking a little bit while ago about trying to find an app that would let you write text as quickly as you write with the quick entry window and OmniFocus, just tap a keystroke, type some text and dismiss it. And it'll be saved until you want to come back to it. 
I was looking for something like that a few months ago myself, and I think I found it. I knew about the quick note feature in Evernote, but I was trying to get away from using Evernote, and the Evernote quick note has a couple of limitations I didn't like. So I did some searching and eventually found Swift Text, S-W-I-F-T-T-E-X-T. Costs a buck ninety nine on the App Store. It has a very limited feature set, which is part of what makes it great. You call it up by either clicking on an icon in your menu bar or tip, uh, typing a hotkey combination. I've got it set to Control Command N. Then you type in the text box. If you move the text box or resize it, Swift Text will remember the last position in the size you use. You can change the font. It remembers what you typed into it after you dismiss the window, and the window stays on top. That's pretty much it. Um, it's all it does. I was in touch with the developer, and he asked me if I could suggest any additional features, and I said, no, no, absolutely not. Anything added on this would just be feature bloat. It's perfect as it is. So that's my tip for uh, today. This is Mitch Wagner. And you can find me on Google+, Twitter, Tumblr, or Facebook as Mitch Wagner. Thanks, Mitch. I am. Um, I'd be interested to compare this to drafts, you know, because I'm just such a drafts guy. Um, have you played with this app at all, Katie? No, but I'm definitely going to check it out after. I mean, it may kind of be like the, the drafts for Mac that we're kind of looking for. Yeah, exactly. The um, All right. Um, so we had uh, a couple things left on the show today. Um, we had talked about uh, addressing the movie. That's what we call it in our house now, just the movie. Um, but we're already at an hour and a half. What do you think? We told people we were going to talk about the movie. So, all right, let's talk about the movie. Do we, do we want to talk about the tech that we're playing with first? And then we can just wrap up with, no, let's talk about the movie. We told people we talk about the movie. Do you, do you have your spoiler horn, your star Wars specific spoiler horn? Ready? Oh, I do. Wait a second. Let me, let me fire it up. Okay, here we go. Okay, you heard that. All right. So okay. basically, we're we're gonna assume that you've seen the movie. <laughs> if you yes. haven't, uh, now's a good time to go do something else, and then you know, hit pause. Maybe come back after you've seen the movie. The movie, anyway. right? So th- there there will be spoilers after this point. Okay, and we're and we'll probably we're we're gonna keep this to you know not too long, but but I've been wanting to talk about it anyway. So anyway, uh, so but can, I guess can the first I, can question. I, um, go ahead. Go ahead. You first. I was going to say, did how many times have you seen it now? Um, I have seen it three times. Okay. Well, you've got me beat. I've only seen it twice. Yeah. Uh, although my daughter said she would like to go see it again. So maybe this weekend. Um, uh, yeah. The, uh, yeah, I, I was, uh, so I, I've talked about, I don't know what I've talked about on this show, but I've talked in the past when I was, I think I was nine years old when the first Star Wars came out. And it was like one of those, I was the perfect age to see that movie. And it was like, you know, I just really latched onto it, loved it. And there was no movies like Star Wars when I was nine. I mean, it was a one of a kind. I mean, today movies are all fantastic, Hal, and they, uh, they, they've got all these great, um, you know, effects and things going on, but they're, they're never seen anything like Star Wars. And, and it really connected with me, you know, as an adult now, I'm kind of familiar with Joseph Campbell and how, you know, Lucas was looking at the hero's journey and it was kind of a modern telling of a mythical story more than a science fiction in a lot of ways. And, um, but when I was nine, it just hit me, you know? So, um, and I was, a so I've always been a big star Wars fan. And then the prequels came out, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And, and I was wanting them so badly. 
I don't know if you remember, there was a poster of the the little kid who played Anakin as a boy, and then the shadow was Darth Vader. And it's like, man, I am so ready for this. And I was so, so disappointed with those movies. Um, so I didn't know what to think going in, you know, after being stung so hard. In fact, leading up to going to see this movie, I've watched the original trilogy many times, but we, I decided I was going to watch the the prequels again. And the last time I'd seen them was in the theater. I mean, I, I literally walked out of the theater and said, I'm never going to watch it again. But I, I did. And those still are terrible, terrible movies in my mind. But yeah, so, I, I did the same thing over, over the course of a year. Well, maybe six months or so. I've started watching the prequels and, and everything in anticipation of the movie. And it it was tough. Oh, I mean, you can find a yeah. fan edit online of the prequels that will condense it down to about two to three hours. It's yeah, better. they call it the phantom edit. And um. And I, I wish I had done that. I mean, I was like angry for a couple of days. <laughs> I was so, so disappointed with those movies. But anyway, so, so my big fear going into the new Star Wars movie was, it, it, you know, am I ever going to give this movie a fair shot? Because, you know, the, the episode four and five, two really um, hit me at a time in my life that like it, it was life changing, you know. And so I'm, now I am this middle aged guy. Um, I don't know if a movie can affect me that way anymore. And, um, and you know what, this movie, you know, like, even if it's a good movie, would I still like it? I guess was my worry. And I got in there and I just totally got into it. I enjoyed it so much. I'm not really comparing it to the old movies. Um, but it was a very enjoyable ride. It felt like star Wars to me. And, um, boy, I'm just so happy to see that the franchise is, is running again. And that's my overall Uh, impression of the movie. And I will tell you to add to what you said. I think I, um, I enjoyed it more the second time that I saw it than I did the first time, because the first time that I saw it, there was this fear inside of me of what if it's not good? I think the entire movie, even as you got into it, you know, 20, 30 minutes, an hour, and it was good, I I still had this fear inside of me of what if they lose it? What if it's bad? What if it's, what if it, and so I think part of the reason that I couldn't Although I enjoyed the movie the first time I saw it, I think I was always a little bit on edge and a little bit worried of what if they screw this up. And the second time I saw it, I I didn't have that fear and I could just sit back and enjoy the movie. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it it, it really does. And, and, uh, I, but I, you know what, I, the, the scene where, and so we've, we fired off our spoiler horn. So I'm just not going to, I'm going to assume you've seen it. Uh, the scene that, gave me goose i just i was whooping out loud um was at the very towards the beginning when ray and finn are running away they're running towards the escape ship that blows up and he's like what about that one she says that one's garbage garbage yeah and then they they swoop the camera over and there is the character that i missed the most in the prequels you know because it's a millennium falcon to me which is a character in this movie and seeing it there i got goosebumps just seeing it there you know and and boy at that point they had me i mean (laughs) i guess i'm pretty easy really but i mean just they had me and uh boy i was in for the whole ride i can tell you i did have underlying angst through some of the movie like r2d2 is one of my very favorite characters and when he was shut down i was like i mean i really like bb8 but please don't kill (laughs) r2d2 that that almost would concern me more than than killing on (laughs) and uh and of course at the end he comes back so it's all good but i was worried about that during some of the movie there were things in it i worry about um the uh but man i i really enjoyed the movie and um 
boy, they, I just feel like they got so much of it right. You know, the, they added humor back to Star Wars. I mean, watching the prequels, I hadn't realized those movies have almost zero humor in them. I mean, everything is so dry in those movies. And uh, the humor is a big part of the original trilogy. Yeah, I really fell in love with BB-8. And um, I-, I was worried about that going through. You know, I was just like, what is this little thing, this little ball thing? You know, sure, he he kind of looks cute and they'll sell a ton of toys, but that is not R2-D2. I-, I almost was a little bit angry about, you know, they're just, they're just yeah, trying to make another cute... Him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was a little biased against him. I was like, they're just trying to make another little cute droid. That is not R2-D2. He is not going to win my heart over. You know, I'm not going to like him. And I, he had me. Yeah. He had me from like, you know, 10 minutes in. I just fell in love with BB-8. And I, I know it was the scene that probably got the most laughs when I was in the theater and probably for you too. But when there's that moment in the Millennium Falcon, when um, Finn kind of comes clean to BB-8 and Ray is down below trying to repair the ship. And he's like, droid, please. And they're trying to figure yeah. out, you know, whether they're going to, BB-8's going to tell them. And, his, and, you know, and he flips his, his, his little lighter between up. between the two of them. Yeah. yeah, he's like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, oh, he's got me. And then he does the thumbs up. And when he does the thumbs up, because I've seen it three times now, I'm listening when I go. The whole audience just gets into it at that point. And you're like, okay, I'm on board with this droid. This BB-8 droid is okay. I, I like the fact that he's, he feels to me more childlike than R2 did. If that makes any sense, right. like the way he hides well, R2 behind was legs. an old droid. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, um, and I really like BB-8. In fact, I like him so much that, you know, I want him now for my backyard. You know, I, I'm turning my backyard slowly into a Star Wars yard. Did you know that? I, I've, I haven't I've told you about that. I've got a, yeah. a garden gnome that's a crash AT, um, AT. In my garden, I have a little Yoda, like a garden gnome. And, and um, most recently, I don't know if you've seen it at, um, Target and some of the bigger retailers, they have this, like, it's a four foot tall stormtrooper. I mean, it's as big as a oh, kid, no. you know? And I was looking at it and they keep getting on sale every time I go, you know, because the holidays are over and there's still a bunch of these big things around. So I found one online really cheap and I ordered it and I'm going to drill a hole in the feet and I'm going to stake it into the ground. And that is going to be my scarecrow in my yard. <laughs> But uh, yeah, anyway, I, 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 I wander off topic, Katie Floyd. So, so I really loved BBA. I, I thought, um, I don't know, it was very endearing uh, from an old timer that loves R2-D2. So, so BBA definitely warmed my heart. I think I'm yeah. going to make one for the backyard. I need to get a big ball, maybe wooden or plastic and paint it. I'm going to put one in the yard. Um, the, uh, the, the uh, another thing I, I mean, I could really talk about this for hours and I don't want to do that, but, uh, but uh, some of the other big picture things is I like the fact that they kind of punked us a little bit. When you look at the movie posters and everything, you thought, okay, Finn's going to be the new Luke and he's not. Um, yeah. Well, I think we need to talk about Ray a little bit because yeah, that's what I'm heading into is Ray was the surprise character. And, I, and wow. I love her. And, and I think. You know, I've always enjoyed Star Wars, and and I know we've got this Star Trek Star Wars thing going on, and and I really grew up with Star Trek, and you know, don't get me wrong, Star Trek is my first love, but I love Star Wars. I mean, as much as someone can be a Star Wars fan, you know, after Star Trek, Star Wars is is my thing, and as I was growing up as a kid, there were no 
girl Jedis. You know, when I was a girl, there were no, women weren't Jedis. Girls yeah. weren't Jedis. Um, you know, that was always something that the boys did. The boys played around um, like they were Luke Skywalker. And if you were a girl, who did you get to be or who did you get to dress up as for Halloween? You know, you got to be Leia in her big white robe because your mom wasn't going to let you be Leia, you know, in the other costume. Yeah. <laughs> um, because that's just not appropriate. But yeah. um, so, you know, who did if you wanted to be a Jedi and you were a little girl there, there, there wasn't anyone to be. And I just I'm so happy that my kids are going to get to grow up in a world where little girls can be Jedi now. And and yeah. how cool is that? I mean, you know, certainly not to say that little girls didn't play like they were Jedi, because we certainly did. But but now we've got Ray, and you know what an awesome hero to look up for. I mean, she's yeah. she's smart, she's witty, she's mechanical, she's a pilot, but she's certainly not perfect either. She's still learning, and I think that's what we're going to see a lot of um, of her journey in Episode Eight too. I mean, she's this she's this woman that's grown up essentially alone, you know, and she's very introverted, and you know, it's but at the same time, she like makes the right decisions. I I've been watching it through the eyes of my thirteen year old. You know, she's the one who really loves Star Wars with me and she's gone to see, she's seen it more than I have now. And I can just see already she's so excited about Ray. And it's like she has connected to Ray probably better than I connected to Luke. I, I thought Luke was kind of a whiner when I was a kid. Well, he actually was, you know, but that was his arc. But Ray is this, this character that's already so powerful and already so has so much integrity. I, I, uh, to me, it was like that was one of the the true um, surprises and joys of this movie is how strong that character is already. And just, you know, as a Star Wars nerd, she's already so powerful in the force. She's doing things that took Luke two or three movies to figure out. So we're going to expect great things from her, I think. And um, and it was kind of interesting to me. So in the original movies, Luke was the one who would have kind of tantrum type outbursts. And in this movie, they kind of turned everything on its head. And the villain is the one with the tantrums. And, um, you know, we've always seen Sith Lords always under control. I mean, Darth Vader would kill you, but he would do it without emotion, in essence. Whereas this guy is like, you know, I, I want to be the guy who supplies computers to the Imperial or to the uh, new First Order, <laughs> you know, because there's constant need for sales every time something goes wrong. You know, um, <laughs> Kylo Ren destroys them all with his lightsaber. So uh, but it, it seems like that's kind of cool. And, and the fact that they turned on its head, like in my mind for all of my life, the 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 struggle for a Jedi or has always been to avoid the dark side. So Kylo Ren keeps talking about this struggle and it took me a long time to figure out his struggle was avoiding the light side. You know, I mean, that was really cool. I mean, I, I understand the movie is in a lot of ways a remake of episode four, but in a lot of ways they turn things on their head. And, um, and I like that. And, and I also like the characters. I feel like these are not copycat characters. They have different goals and aspirations and like, like uh, Poe Dameron, the the pilot, um, my I was last night. We had a bunch of friends over, and they're like, "Oh, he's just the new Han Solo." I'm like, "He's nothing like Han." I mean, Han was always like cynical, and this guy is like always positive. And you know, hey, you look great in my jacket. You should keep it. You know, it's just you know, just he's a different character. I mean, there I understand their similarities, but they're also different. So right, and boy, I think I'm, you you walk into the movie and you try to immediately 
because there are some similarities between this episode and, and Star Wars, you know, or New Hope, whatever you want to call it, but you you can't put these characters into cookie cutter shapes of the new characters. You can't say Ray is Luke, or you can't say, um, you know, Poe is is Han. They're not. They're all their new characters. I mean, they may have blends of other characters that you've or personality traits of other characters that you've known or loved, but they're not those characters. They're not going to fit in those those cookie cutter shapes, and that that's okay. You know. As, as I don't know if you've had an opportunity to listen to the incomparable episode where um, Jason and, and John Syracuse and um, Serenity Caldwell and oh gosh, um, what, is it Dan who was the last one on that panel had an opportunity to talk about it? That's a great episode. It's like three hours long. I'm going to put a link in the show notes. Um, but these are new characters. You know, her name is Ray. His name is Finn. Um, there, it's it's not the Luke Skywalker stand-in. It's not the Han Solo stand-in. Um, another great episode, if you want to listen to it, is John Gruber did an episode, a special episode of the talk show that was oh, did he? talking did he do all about the new Star Wars. Oh, I gotta... Yeah, it just it just came out this week. Um, so right. you'll have to cue that up and, and listen to it. Um, I know we don't have a lot of time left, but let's talk briefly about, you know, some of our favorite characters who have, who have come back. Um, obviously, you know, Luke Skywalker was not in this movie, uh, aside from the very brief shot at the end. And the, the scroll opened famously with Luke Skywalker has, is missing. Yeah. But we did get to see Han and we did get to see Chewie and we, we did get to see Leia. Um, I, you know, I think this movie was clearly a handing of the torch, you know, from the first generation yeah. to the, to this new generation of characters. And I think there had to be some of that. Yeah. Well, they had to satisfy the old guys like me who love star Wars. They kind of, they did have to hand the torch over and, and I thought they, everybody did great. I mean, Carrie Fisher did a great job as princess Leia as a, you know, weary war veteran. I mean, that's, I mean, she came in and you can see that she's had these years go by and the world has been hard for her. And she's, I thought she did a great job. Uh, Harrison Ford, um, you know, I thought we'd never see him back as Han Solo. And um, I have this theory that, you know, in fact, I had a theory before the movie came out that I, would, I was talking to my friends about because he was so happy to be part of Star Wars after being so grumpy about it for so long. That my theory was they were going to kill him just because, um, just because of the, you know, just because you could see he was so happy. So he thought, well, I'm finally done with this, you know, and they really yeah. killed him. I mean, they stabbed him, they threw him off into a bottomless chasm and then they blew up the planet. I mean, there is no way he's coming back <laughs> unless it's like a flashback or something, I guess. But the, um, uh, you know, they really, really killed him. But, you know, the, the one that I thought um, really I saw even more personally in this movie than any prior was Chewie. I mean, Chewie really... um got his chance here, you know, and I thought that that, that was cool too. I don't know, boy, I, I loved it all. Uh, I mean, a, a couple yeah, of issues I've, I have, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I, I wish we'd seen a little bit more of Leia, but I, I understand why we, yeah. we didn't. I mean, she, she really was just in this, this episode for a little bit of window dressing here and there. Uh, I, I, this episode could well, only be so I, long, you know, I mean, it I was over was, two hours already. I think the the reason one of the key things she did was she gave Han the instruction bring our son home, you know. Right, and, and I would have liked to know a little bit more about that story. I would have liked to know a little bit more about the dynamic between Leia and Han. I I would have liked to know a little bit more about how did this happen. I mean, that's got to be a gut wrenching story that you you know Leia and Han get together, they have this son, something bad happens. I don't know if we'll learn more about that another, but you know that's got to be horrible for you know you could they definitely played yeah. it off well, but um, you know we we really only had those those few minutes of that that story. 
Um, a lot of my, I, I thought a lot of my, some of the, go ahead. Well, I was going to say on that line, a lot of my old timer friends were like, I don't understand. Han Solo never would have walked out on that, on that catwalk, you know, because, and my feeling was the way I read it was Han Solo was tired of this whole thing with his son. And I think he walked out there and he says, I'm either going to bring him back. Like my, I want, I, you know, I'm not going to let Leia down. I'm going to either bring him back or I'm going to die, but I'm not going to continue. This as ends things w- are. one way or another right here. Yeah. And I, I like that. And it had, it had depth for me and it, it, it made sense. And, uh, and frankly, I wasn't sure which way it would go as, as you're, as watching the scene. So, um, so I, it worked for me. But I interrupted yeah. you. No, I was going to say the other thing that I thought was a little over the top is, you know, Hannah's, I, I thought Leia acted more appropriately for the time that had passed, her her age, her position now. I think Han Solo and, and Harrison Ford, um, although he did a great job with the role, I, I really thought, you know, Harrison Ford is, you know, Han Solo at this point is is in his 70s. He's almost 80. Um, you know, having, even even though he's Han Solo, you know, having him kind of coming and going off on this adventure might be a little over the top. Yeah. But, it is Star Wars. but you know what? He pulled it off. I felt like he, pulled he did. It off. I, I didn't question. It. I'll tell you one thing I didn't like is there was all this talk leading up to me about this Captain Phasma, you know, the stormtrooper and stainless steel armor. And it, it felt like she was going to be a real, you know, a toughie, you know, and um, and she had a small role in the movie. much smaller than I expected. And then the role she had, I mean, I just didn't buy that that character would put the shields down. You know, it just didn't make sense to me that of all the people that could have been any character. Yeah. And, and so my theory is because it just doesn't make sense. I feel like that captain Phasma, as I understood her would have said, well, you know, I guess you'll have to shoot me in the head because I'm not going to put the shields down, you know, because she would know what that would mean. That could mean the death of all of her people. Um, I feel like that she was a stronger character than that. Um, so my theory is that they needed her to do that to set up whatever she's going to be doing in the next movie. And and they have, people have said that she's definitely in the next movie, so she didn't die when they blew up the planet. And my, you know, like one pet theory of mine is, well, she's going to get drummed out. You know, it's like because she did that, and then she's going to have this, you know, this vengeance where she's going after Finn, you know, the one who got her drummed out, and. And she's really going to become the, you know, the bounty hunter, the, you know, of this thing, but she's going to be really angry <laughs> and she's going to be a, a force to be reckoned with. So I don't know. I, I've i got these pet theories, but they, they must have done that for a reason, because like you said, they could have used anybody to put the shields down, but they used her. And it, it, in my mind, really weakened the character. And that was one of the points in the movie where I kind of fell out of the movie. I'm like, what? This doesn't make any sense to me. And um, but but overall, the movie flowed really well. I mean, Star Wars, I guess, you know, when you and I have these discussions, Star Wars versus Star Trek, I think one of the key differences is Star Wars is really more of a mythology than a science, you know? And and I try not to think too much about, you know, sucking all the power out of a sun and storing it in a planet. None, none of this stuff Yeah, because we, we definitely yeah. can't talk about any of that. Yeah, um, but but it works for me, and I was so happy to see it. I, I can't wait to see what happens next, which I think is one of the, the desires of the movie. I think J.J. Abrams uh, treated it with love. I'm a little disappointed when I see some of the things George Lucas has been saying lately. Um, uh, I feel like, you know, I don't think he's being fair to the movie and especially in light of having recently watched the prequels, you know, so uh, I think it's in good hands. The franchise is in good hands and we're going to have some really great Star Wars in the future. 
Yeah, I, I think this franchise may be in better hands than the Star Trek franchise is based on what I've seen. Well, from the same that people, early isn't it? Really? Didn't well, J.J. Abrams know. produce had, the new one? Well, he, reboot, he rebooted it, but now it's kind of been handed over to the Fast and Furious guy. So I don't oh, know. Oh, has it? See. Yeah. Maybe it, maybe like it was just a bad trailer. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, all right. Well, we have got just a few quick things to wrap up with. But uh, before we do that, I do want to say thanks uh, to our final sponsor for this episode. And that is our good friends over at Hover. And, you know, um, when you've got a great idea and you want to secure a name for it, if you want something catchy and memorable to represent your online identity, Hover is the place that you want to go because they will help you find the perfect domain name to bring your idea to life. Hover is easy. You just go online and you search for the domain you want. You enter a few keywords and Hover will show you all of the best available options and suggestions. They've got a huge variety of domain names like .com, .net, .wedding. Uh, and all the country codes that you need to suit your names. In fact, I don't know if I ever told you the story about um, how I ended up being this wedding planner website uh, is because my brother got engaged and we ended up going, um, you know, out to meet him and his fiance. They were out at the beach when they got engaged and we we're going to take them out to dinner and a couple of days later to have a little uh, a little party thing. And I'm sitting um, in the passenger seat of the car and I noticed that my mom has a nice big gift that's all wrapped up in the back seat. And I said, what is that? And she said, well, that's their engagement gift. What did you get? them. And I said, excuse me? And she says, oh yeah, you have to get them an engagement gift. And I said, oh, um, well, so you know what I did is while I'm sitting in the passenger seat, uh, I bring up Hover. And when you go to Hover.com, uh, I typed in their names and um, found uh, you know all of the various websites with their names that I could use and, and got their domain name for their site and um, you know grabbed a card. Don't tell them this, by the way. I mean, it's not like this is going to be published anywhere, right? Yeah, and, nobody, uh, nobody listens. Yeah, no, nobody's going to hear this. Um, and then just within a couple of minutes, you know, from the passenger seat of a car, I wasn't driving clearly, um, was able to find a bunch of varieties, different name, name domain names, um, secure the domain name for their website. Um, and then when we got to our destination, I was able to pick up a nice card for them, uh, write the domain name in there, and then boom, now they've got a wedding website. So you can do all of those things through the Hover uh, website. It's fast, it's easy. Um, they've got great control where you can, you know, connect sites like Squarespace, you can control your DNS, you can add custom email. Um, and if you've got websites with another service, you can even transfer them over to Hover and Hover's valet transfer service will help you do that for them. So if you want to get started with Hover, uh, you can even save by heading over to hover.com and use the coupon code workflows, um, all one word, W-O-R-K-F-L-O-W-S, to save 10% off your first purchase. So thank you to Hover for supporting Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. Hey, Katie Floyd, let's talk about some tech we're using. Um, uh, I'm, I'm actually really excited about a new battery in my life. That's right, a new battery. Okay. Yeah, the uh, I, so I got Anchor, which is a company that makes these batteries we've been talking about for the last couple of years, came out with a new one called the PowerCore Plus 2100. And it is a really fantastic battery for people who own the new MacBook. Um, it's it's uh, 20,100 milliamp hours, which is a lot. That's a, that there is a lot of milliamp hours. But um, it's it's even better for the new MacBook owners because it's got a USB-C port on it directly. So you can plug a USB-C cable directly and it can charge via the USB-C port, which allows it to charge faster than the traditional USB cable would. It's got six amp output 
Um, so you can, it, it can really power the new MacBook. You know, I was doing this before with another anchor charger, but it wasn't made for it. And the amp amperage wasn't high enough. So it did charge it, but it was much slower. This will charge faster. It's got a nice aluminum shell, 18 month warranty. So I'm, I'm good. Um, and it also uses those anchor features. They have the thing called the power IQ where it looks at what the power is going to be required by the device. So if I plug an iPad, it'll do something different than an iPhone or a MacBook and a voltage boost, uh, both really good anchor features. Um, that's a, it's a great battery. Um, it's, you know, it's bigger than the, you know, it's the big boy, you know, so, but it's not so big that I can't carry it in my bag. I should look up the weight while you're talking about your pick. I'll report back. But the, um, uh, I'm just really happy with this an external battery. It's got a little button on the outside. You press it and it gives you an led readout of the remaining power. So you can easily tell when it needs a recharge. And when I go out, it essentially doubles the length of the battery life on my already um, very excellent MacBook. So I can essentially get about two days worth uh, between the anchor battery and a full charge. It's great. Awesome. Um, now, would people who don't have the new MacBook still benefit from this? Or do you really need to have a um, USB-C accessory to have it? Well, it's really a USB-C thing. They make a version that's not USB-C. And uh, that would be great too. I mean, twenty thousand milliamp hours is a lot of is a lot of juice. So you know, you could use it no matter what you're doing with it. But if you've got the new MacBook, this is one that is really worth looking at. I've been, you know, I had been using repurposing one that wasn't really made for it before, but now that I've got this big one, it's great. And it's not that heavy. Like I'll look up the weight real quick while you're talking about your pick. So my pick is, David, I have finally stepped into the world of Philips Hue, and I know you've been bugging me about this for a while, and I've actually bought two other Philips Hue products before and returned them because they just weren't right for me. Uh, but this one I think is going to stick. I ended up picking up, you know, the um, second generation uh, Philips Hue white starter kit. Um, it's about 80 bucks. You can pick it up for about 80 bucks on Amazon. And it's... it's I think the reason that this one stuck is for a couple of reasons. One, um, it's a lot less expensive than the starter kit with the multicolor bulbs. I mean, those started about $299, where this one's only 80 So yeah. it's a much lower price of entry. Now, granted, you're getting only two bulbs instead of three. And the big difference is these are only white bulbs. You're not going to get the fancy color changing bulbs. And I tell you, that's really fine for me because I, I understand the benefit of the color changing bulbs, but it just, it wasn't something that I was going to use enough to justify, you know, spending the extra money on it. So if, if I want them later, I can add them to my kit, but this gets me started. And the other thing that this ad is this adds that because it's the second generation, it adds the ability to work with Apple's home kit. So that was huge. Now you do have to turn on the iCloud keychain for that, but I was able to plug this into my router and I have actually split these. The, the original set comes with two bulbs and I've since added on some extension bulbs, which are about 15 bucks a piece. So the, just the white extension bulbs are pretty reasonable for LED bulbs or smart LED bulbs. So I started with, I put one of these bulbs um, in a lamp in my foyer and one of these bulbs in a lamp in my bedroom. And the one in my foyer I've got connected, actually I've got them all connected, but the one in my foyer I've got connected to if this, then that. So it comes on, a couple of times a day, it comes on in the morning and then turns off at uh, like at 5 a.m. and then turns off at sunset or sunrise. So when I get up, you know, I've got some light in the main area of my house. And then it also comes on again at sunset and turns off at like 11 p.m. So even if I'm not home, you can see it through my glass front door 
and there's some light and it looks like people are home. And then the other one yeah. I've got in, in a bedside reading lamp um, in my bedroom, which is great because I can activate that one all the time using Siri, either on my watch or on my iPhone or on my iPad. So the way that that usually works is I've got it set to come on at night. It provides me enough light in my bedroom that I can get around and get ready for bed and do things like that, but it's not overbearing. I, I can read at night or I can have it on while I'm watching TV. But when it's time to go to bed, I either just raise my watch or I roll over to my iPhone that's that's plugged in by the side of the bed, and I can say, ahoy, telephone, turn out the bedroom light, and it does. I don't have to get out from under the covers. I don't have to get out and turn on the lamp. Um, it's great. So those two features alone are are worth the 80 bucks. And like I said, I've now bought some extension bulbs that I've, I've put in lights outside my house, like, um, you know, the light in front of my front door and the two lights uh, by my garage door. So it's, it's been really nice to add some smart, smart lighting for those yeah. few I mean, features. They continue to grow my house. The uh, 2.0 hub, they gave a deal to existing owners. And uh, so I got one at a discounted price and you're right. Adding Siri to it really it feels like a, a significant improvement. I just got thinking while I was listening to you, like we have one in our front porch light as well. And um, my wife doesn't really like dealing with the app, you know, cause we have enough lights that it gets confusing when you get into the application. I was thinking this is a perfect use for do button. You know, I'll just attach it to an, if this, then at rule and put the do button app on her phone. And then she can just tap the do button and turn the porch light on. You know, like she likes yeah, to turn go. it on when she's coming home, you know? So, yeah, they're nice. They're still, to me, it seems like they're overpriced. Like, you know, Philips does charge a premium for this stuff, even the white lights. You can find LED lights and even some uh, remote-friendly LED lights, usually cheaper. But they, they do a really good job of, of giving you the whole system. They've got it open. There's this rich assortment of third-party applications out there. Uh, they've got support for this and that. I mean, for the kind of folks that listen to our show, um, it may be worth worth it to do the Hue system in your house. Um, the, like I said, they've grown in my house, and I really like it. So yeah. it's nice. I, I also like, now with the white lights, can you do the light recipes where you can like the energy where it's very blue or the yeah, warm lights? Yeah, you can different, different shades of white. Yeah, good. That's To me, that's way more important than the colors. Like in the evenings, yeah. I always kind of put them on the warmer settings. In the mornings, if I use lights, I put them on the more blue light. and um, And I like that. Yeah. Well, we uh, we need to get out of here before we get into the yeah. two hour mark. So, yeah. Well, uh, we did Star Wars. So that, that we did. A we bit did the Star Wars. Lines. So. All right. Well, we want you can um, if you want to contribute to the next MPU live show, you can do that uh, by sending us a feedback, sending us an audio comment. If you like that uh, voice recorder app on the iPhone works great. Just please remember that you keep them to two minutes or less. Uh, and you can send those to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. And if you want to consider maybe being our introductory guest on the show, um, you know, send us a pitch, send us a particular workflow or idea that you want to do. Um, and, and you can send those to ours and, and we'll be looking at those as well. Uh, you can find more information about our show as well as links to everything that we talked about. And if you want to support our show directly, you can find a link to the Relay membership information um, at our website, which is relay.fm slash MPU. Yeah, and um, you can find us on Twitter. We are at Mac Power Users. Katie is at Katie Floyd, and I am at Max Barkey. We've got a great show for the next coming up. We're going to be talking all about Plex and uh, how that works with the Apple TV and all the changes they've made. It's a real game changer to help your media. We're going to have a special guest in to talk about it. Uh, we'll see you all next week. 
Yeah, and uh, lastly, thanks to our sponsors, Fujitsu, Sanebox, Igloo, and Hover. And we will see you all next time.